And then, yes, today is Compassion Sunday. One of the other things you might have noticed, is he wearing a t-shirt? Yeah, he is. Uh, it says on the front, ask me about Valeria. And uh, some of you did, and I got to tell you, Valeria is the little girl that we sponsor in Honduras through Compassion International. As a matter of fact, she will turn four on Tuesday. Uh, she will, if you haven't, her birthday. Gorgeous little girl. Uh, I can, I'm just like any other parent. You ask me for pictures of my kids, I can do it. You ask me for a picture of Valeria, I can do it. Uh, got a picture of her here. Um, Compassion asks us to, to do this once a year, to have a Compassion Sunday, and I am proud to be able to do that. Uh, we sponsor a little, we sponsor Valeria through Compassion International. We sponsor uh, a little boy uh, named Joseph uh, through World Vision, also in Honduras, and we also sponsor a um, kind of a pregnancy care center in Indonesia through Compassion International as well. So there are a lot of opportunities. This kind of is a commercial for Compassion, but as you can see, as you turn to James 1, 26 through 27, this isn't just about uh, doing a commercial for a ministry. This is about doing what God has called us to do as a church, as Christians. He, I just wanted to read you some of the things that they do just in uh, this, uh, this Compassion Center in Honduras. Um, in Siguatapeque, uh, Honduras. I think I maybe said that right or got close to it. Um, what are some of the things they do? Uh, they provide Bible studies, Sunday school, discipleship classes, health screenings, vaccinations, indoor and outdoor games, hygiene and health education, talent development, peer counseling, leadership training, debate clubs, educational field trips, tutoring, life skills, training, mentoring programs, computer classes, and vocational training. And that video you saw uh, where little girl was sponsored at nine years old, and because of the sponsorship, I mean, just pretty much that's it, ends up going to the university and becoming a teacher. Uh, that's the kind of difference that you can make, and uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Compassion's not the only way. Uh, when Lindley Creek was here a, a couple of weeks ago, they talked about another. There, there are many, many ways that we can be the hands and feet in Jesus. And one line in the song the choir sang, said to reach the huddled masses crying out for daily bread. Uh, I picked up on that immediately because that got right to the point of this morning's message from James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. I'm, I, I like statistics. Uh, some people find them boring. Y'all are crazy, especially if they're good statistics. 17.8 uh, million orphans worldwide. 17.8 million orphans. Now, that number is children who have lost both parents. In a lot of countries, you are orphaned uh, technically or uh, in reality if you've lost just one of your parents. So if you count children who have uh, uh, lost just one parent, the total is 153 million orphans that have lost one or both parents. That's worldwide. There are over 400,000 children in the United States foster care system. Y'all might understand that foster care and adoption is a pretty big deal to us. 400,000 children in U.S. foster care. Uh, over 100,000 of them, and those will be popping up on the screen in a second, is it? Yep. Uh, 
over 100,000 of those in foster care are currently adoptable. In Louisiana, there are 4,700 children in foster care. 4,700 kids in foster care. Uh, there are 1,600 Baptist churches in Louisiana, a little over 1,600. So, again, I'm not great at math, but if uh, about three families from each church took a foster child, there would be no more foster care, uh, no more foster children in Louisiana. Of those 4,700 children, over 650, I think 654 actually, are currently adoptable. Now, what does currently adoptable mean? Currently adoptable means you could walk into the foster care, uh, the, the CPS or the agency that, that handles it for them and say, look, I want to adopt a child. And they could say, we've got 650 children that need it. And in six months, because their, their parental rights are terminated, you could adopt a child. That's just a microcosm of the need. That's, that's, just, that's just foster care and adoption in Louisiana. Uh, I didn't get statistics on homelessness. I didn't get statistics on families living in poverty. I didn't get statistics on uh, the number of, of immigrant families that, that need help. I didn't get statistics on a lot of areas where the church must step up. Uh, we, we are very good, and I'll talk about this a little bit more later, we're very good at saying, depending on our political persuasion, that it's not the government's job to do this. And, and you're right. But the government's doing it because the church hasn't. So the church has to step up. James 1, 26 through 27, read it along with me. It says, if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, then his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God and Father is this, before our God and Father, is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now, our, our focus here is really the first part of 26, uh, verse 26 for Compassion Sunday, taking care of widows and orphans. Uh, but we've got to, we always have to look at context. We always have to see what's coming on either side because there's more to it usually than just that one command. Uh, one of the background things we need to understand, though, is that right belief leads to right action. That's, that's the theme of, of James. Right belief leads to right action. We can have the right beliefs, but if we don't have the action, James is going to really beat us up in his letter and question our beliefs. You say you believe, but you don't do. So do you really believe? I mean, over and over, he hits us with that. But, but we, we know that the right belief, we, we must have the right belief first. Right belief is, is vital. And I will tell you this this morning, and, and some of you won't be surprised about it, and some of you might be. I am a fundamentalist. And y'all are going, wait, what? His wife wears makeup. And, no, I didn't, I'm, not, I'm not independent fundamentalist in that sense. But I am a fundamentalist in that I hold to the five fundamentals of the faith. Who can name the five fundamentals of the faith? Yeah, I couldn't either. Uh, but I know what they are. And in fact, most of you are probably fundamentalists as well. The five fundamentals of the faith are first, the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture. The second fundamental 
is the uh, deity of Christ. The third fundamental is the virgin birth of Christ. The fourth fundamental is penal substitutionary atonement, and if you came to our Sunday night Bible study on Galatians, you'd already know what that is because we talked about it last Sunday night. And the fifth is a bodily return of Jesus and a resurrection of the church, a physical resurrection. Those are the five fundamentals of the faith. Basically, when we say five fundamentals, we're saying if you want to call yourself a Christian, if you want to be orthodox in your, in your Christianity, these are the five things you have to really have to believe. Now, there are other, there are a lot of other parts that we as Baptists believe, that, that we as conservatives believe, that, that we as Southern Baptists versus non-Southern Baptists believe. There are a lot of extra things, but those things, for the most part, we can have a discussion about and say, yeah, we're all part of the same, the same body. But I believe that if we don't have these things, then we really need to talk about what we believe. It would be like this. Somebody says, I'm an LSU fan. Really, you are? That's great. Well, what's your favorite sport that they play? Oh, I don't watch sports. Oh, okay. Um, well, then you, I guess you just went to school there and, and, and you just, you know, you, you're real fond of their medical program or their law pro. Oh, no, no, I, I actually never stepped foot on the campus. Oh, okay. Uh, you, you do, well, but I, then I guess you just you like the colors or something. I mean, you're, you're a fan of the, the tiger. No, I, I really don't like I think that colors kind of clash. I don't like tigers either. It's a little violent. Um, I, well, in what sense are you an LSU fan? Oh, well, I think everybody should be a fan of something. So I'm an LSU fan because I'm, I'm just a fan of stuff. I'm not, I, I like people getting behind something and you're not an LSU fan, okay? If you don't have a cap and a t-shirt and a, a, a watch that says LSU like I have at home, uh, if you don't have those things, if you don't watch the sports, if you did, you know, you're not. Now, some of y'all are going to sit there and think, well, that, that breaks down when you get to evangelism. That, that's not a good analogy, Michael. I know, all analogies break down. But we can agree that if you're going to call yourself something, that there should be some evidence that you actually are that thing. That's what this right belief is. That's why right belief is vital. This is where I am. This gets us started, the five fundamentals. But I don't stop there. We have an evangelical belief as well. I'm a fundamentalist, but I'm also an evangelical. And evangelical, for today's terms, I'm going to define as someone who understands that salvation is by grace through faith alone. See how we're, we're undergirding, see how we're setting a foundation before we can get to what James is going to talk about with action because he is going to say that your faith leads to the action. So what is my faith? My faith is in Jesus Christ. If I have misplaced my faith, put it in something else, then that is not saving faith. If I depend on anything other than Jesus to save me, I'm not saved. See how important that faith is? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me, Jesus said. Well, that tell, makes it pretty clear. Then if I'm putting my faith in anything else to save me, I'm not saved. Faith must be in Christ, but faith must also be in Christ alone. This is where we have difficulty with someone who says, yes, you have to be saved 
You have to have faith in Christ, but you also have to do these things. Whatever those things are, join a church, be baptized, not like these sins, whatever it may be. And, and nowhere does Scripture tell us that. To be saved, you must have faith alone. You cannot add to the work of Christ. Again, I'll plug our Sunday night Bible study through Galatians, and we have already talked about that, and we're going to talk about it in greater detail in the coming weeks on Sunday night because that is the exact point Paul was getting at with the folks in Galatia. Look, y'all, you've got teachers coming in that have said, you, you're right to, to put your faith in Christ, absolutely, but also do these things or you're not really saved. And Paul, well, he lets them have it. You'll have to see what he says when you come on Sunday nights. Works aren't a substitute for our faith. Works can't get us to heaven. Belief is not a work. Trust, faith, those are not works. Those don't earn our salvation. They are a response to the salvation that is being offered, but they don't earn it. We cannot earn our salvation. It is a free gift. So we don't substitute works. So then when we read James, and we're little taken aback by, wait a minute, he's saying if you don't work, you don't have faith if you don't do so i've got to work to be saved no he's saying that if you claim to be saved you will do the work if christ has really touched you and changed you if you have the foundation of faith you will do the work of a christian if we stop at beliefs the five fundamentals or if we stop at belief faith in jesus christ and we don't move on to action there's a disconnect we have issues, and we need to talk about those issues. James is going to talk about, uh, going to identify three general areas of obedience, general areas, by using three specific activities. He, he, taught, he, he presents three specific things, but these aren't like the only, oh, religion is only these thing, three things. No, true religion looks like these things. These are examples of these broader topics, and those broad topics are wise use of speech, integrity and social responsibility that's what we're going to hammer on this morning and personal holiness and if uh y'all are watching the clock i am too uh doesn't mean i'll shorten my sermon but i am watching the clock just you know don't think i don't know what time it is first thing wise use of speech verse 26 james says if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue his religion is useless and he deceives himself control here is both stopping the negative and increasing the positive. We sometimes think we control your, our tongue, we don't say anything. Not necessarily. Controlling the tongue is controlling what we say so that we don't say the negative, we don't spread the gossip, but we do speak truth in love. We do speak love to those who, who need to hear it. Control is, is stopping the negative, increasing the positive, and too many of us have convinced ourselves that our negative is actually positive. Oh, well, I needed to tell them that. No, you probably didn't. Well, I just don't, I, I, I say what I think. Well, stop. You don't. Well, they needed to hear it. Maybe they did, but probably not from you. And maybe they didn't need to hear it at all. Maybe you should have bitten your tongue, stopped short. No, you wanted to say it, but you didn't. But you've convinced yourself, James says here, anyone who thinks he's religious without controlling his tongue, 
He has deceived himself. You've convinced yourself you're doing good. Oh, I'm not gossiping. I'm sharing prayer requests. Mm-hmm. A lot of detail in that prayer request. You convinced yourself you're being good. And you know what? You've been duped. You have, you have fooled yourself. You know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Almost did it the way George Bush did it a few years ago and completely blew it. You know, what, what worse fooling is when you continually fool yourself? You, you, you talk to yourself and, and you believe you. You know, I, I could understand it if, if, if you, you tell, you know, somebody tells me something and, and I, I trusted them and, oh, I found out later on uh, that uh, they were lying to me. But dad gum, I, I don't know when I'm lying to myself because I know me. Well, that's what Paul's saying, or James is saying here. You convinced yourself you do, you're doing good. You fooled yourself. But worse than that, he says his religion is useless. You are not living what you claim if you cannot control your tongue, both reducing, uh, stopping the negative and increasing the positive. If you do not control that, your religion is useless. Well, what do you mean by that, James? Well, what he means is your faith isn't changing you. You, you, you claim faith, you would, you would claim the five fundamentals, I've got right beliefs. You would claim salvation in Jesus Christ. I understand that it's only through, uh, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. I've got the right belief. But James would say, but your mouth is proving to everyone else, apparently except you, that there is a disconnect between your belief and your action. And James says that should not be. Your faith must change you. Your faith must lead to action. And sometimes that action is inaction when it comes to not saying certain things. The second thing he says right here in the middle then in verse 27, uh, the, the second broad aspect of, of our faith in action is integrity and social responsibility. And we see that in verse 27, the first half of verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows. Now, our church, long before I got here, I, I don't take a bit of credit for it. Our church does very well, we could probably do better, but does very well in taking care of our widows and widowers. That is a, a strong ministry of the deacons that they do very well. So we, we've got that part, again, not saying we couldn't do better, not saying we can't expand that and do more, but we're going down the right path. But as a church, are we doing all we can for the orphans? And remember, this is a specific example of a broader responsibility of the church. These two, widows and orphans, are an example of the most vulnerable in that society. And that's what James is getting at. You need to take care of, think about, minister to the absolute least in your society. The, the, the ones that society would value the least. The ones that society would say, eh, you know, it's, it's sad, but what are they going to contribute anyway in the long run? They're just going to be a drain on society. We don't really need to help them. James would say, Absolutely not. 
The church must be on the front line of ministering to the neediest, the least in the community, those that we would label as the least anyway, because in God's eyes, there is no least. We are all made in the image of God. It does not matter our color or our social status or anything else. We are all, we all bear the imago dei, the image of God, that image that he put in us at, 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 at creation and said uh, he breathed into them life and they all have this some part of God in us. We are his workmanship, made in his image. Therefore, we all have value. And that's real easy for us, sitting in this room, the 220 of us, to say, of course we all have value. Let's change it. They all have value. Everyone outside our walls has value. The church has a social responsibility. And some of you are already beginning to turn me off and saying, well, he's sounding like a Democrat. Turn me back on because I don't care what I sound like. I want to sound biblical. And if that makes me sound like a Republican some days, so be it. And if that makes me sound like a Democrat some days, so be it. And if that makes me sound like a Libertarian some days, so be it. If that makes me sound like I'm from the Green Party or uh, uh, the Tea Party, so be it. I want to sound biblical. I want to live biblical because our, uh, our, our driving force, I started to say mantra, and Etta tells me I've got to quit saying mantra because that, that's not a Christian word. I mean, I'm, but our, our, our motto, our what pushes us, what gets us to do what we're supposed to do is not the Republican platform or not the Democrat platform. It is the biblical platform. And biblically, we are to be socially responsible, reaching out to people in need. What, what does that look like? Well, use your imagination, but I came up with a few myself. The homeless, the broken. Refugees, big topic right now. The hurting, the sick, immigrants, legal and illegal. Those who suffer injustice, those who are poor. Oh, he's sounding more and more like a Democrat. I don't care. I'm sounding like what James tells us by his inerrant, remember the first fundamental, inerrant, inspired word of God? The inerrant, inspired word of God tells us to take care of these. Therefore, I don't care what a political party tells me. We cannot allow a political party to get in the way of the clear commands of Scripture. We cannot do it. And it's hard. Y'all, I'm not saying this is easy. That, that, that suddenly, it's, it's, it's just... We snap our fingers and we break from what we've thought, been taught for years. Because we have in mind that to do certain things automatically means we are uh, progressive or liberal or, to, or, or, or on the other side, uh, we, we hate people or we just want to see them die or we don't care that they're poor or anything like that. We, we have it from both sides. I, I don't care about the politics of it. I care about the biblical nature of it. Pure and undefiled religion before God. And I understand when people say, oh, it's not a, Christianity is not about a religion, it's about a relationship. Yeah, I get that. Stop, please. It, it is foundation, uh, foundationally a relationship. 
But James is clear that that relationship leads to action, leads to a set of actions, leads to things that we do regularly, over and over and over, dare I say, religiously. It is a religion. We are called to be certain things. We are called to be set apart. We are called to be active. We are called to be active in a way that shows people what we believe. You know, the, the, James is going to say a little while later, you say you believe, that's great. Even the demons believe and tremble. What's the difference? No saving faith and no actions. They, they, they know who Jesus is. They believe he's the son of God. They believe that the act on the cross was in our place, they, but they don't have saving faith in that. And their actions do not result from that belief. There's a difference between us and demons. It's supposed to be. Our faith changes us. And, and we far too often, to hammer this home just a little bit more, we far too often let our view of what the government should do, do our political party, the planks in our platform, determine what we as the church should do. Regardless of your platform, regardless of whether you're Republican or Democrat or something else, we let those party lines tell us, well, as the church, you have to do this. If they are in line with Scripture, then preach it, brother. But the day, the moment, the second you get away from what the Bible says and tell me what I'm supposed to do as a Christian, then I don't care what you say. It does not bother me that you think I'm not a good Republican or a good Democrat. The Bible says that the only way to heaven is Jesus. So I'm going to stand on the absolute exclusivity of Jesus Christ and will be as offensive as that, that message may be. I will take whatever licks are necessary, persecute me all you want to, but I will not melt and devolve into some liberal, uh, progressive uh, idea that everything's the same. It doesn't matter what you believe. As a matter of fact, tolerance requires you not to believe these things. Tough. I don't care what tolerance requires. I only care what the Bible requires. The Bible says Jesus is the only way, so that is where I'll stand. But the Bible also says I'm to take care of orphans and widows, the least in the society. So when I hear that, well, you know, they need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, I'm going to say they don't even have bootstraps. We as the church need to provide the bootstraps. We need to provide the energy to pull them up. Hard to pull up something, hard to get the, the energy to pull up something when you haven't eaten in a week. We have our little pithy cliches and sayings that, that make us feel okay about not doing what the Bible clearly tells us to do, and it cannot stand. Well, Michael, what do we do? There's so much wrong in the world. You talked about a hundred and, what did I say, 153 million orphans worldwide. Michael, we can't take care of 153 million orphans. You are exactly right, but you can take care of one. Michael, we can't fix the poverty issue in America. There are just so many that are living in, in, in conditions that, that we don't understand, that we can't, take, we, we can't build houses for everybody. No, but you can build houses for one. 
We can't feed everybody, Michael. There's not enough food. There's not enough food in our food pantry. But you can feed one. You see? It's not about changing the world. It's about changing the world for one. And whether that's through compassion and you, you sponsor a child for a few years at, I think, $38 a month, whether you know for a fact God has called you to foster a child, child is going to be rough, hard to deal with, child you may not adopt, but you only have for a few months while the family gets their lives together, that's one. Maybe he has called you to adopt that child. Maybe you have, uh, you build relationships with people that don't look like you, don't believe the same things you do, don't even tolerate the same thing, the things that you believe. Build relationships with folks who don't have families. They're, they're widowed. They're widowered. And, and they don't have kids nearby. Uh, I can't remember who it was that was telling me about this now. Uh, there's a church somewhere in Louisiana that uh, they regularly go to the nursing homes and they ask the, peop- the, the workers... Who are the people in the nursing homes that don't have families to come visit them? And those are the ones they visit. And the, the nursing home workers know. They, they know who that is. And that's who you go visit. Because you've now changed the world for, for one. You've, you've reached out to the, the orphan, the widow. You, you build relationships with people. You, you give money to these things. You, 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 you get with... Uh, Judy Duga or, or Sue Granger, and you, you donate fun money, uh, food to our food pantry. How many of you knew we had a food pantry? Well, now all of you can raise your hand because I just told you. We have a food pantry. That's a, a way that you can give. That's a way you can be a part. The, uh, you can make food for the biker church over here. They feed, I don't know how many people, breakfast and lunch every day. Every day. That's what they do. We can give food to that. They always need food. They always need money. Uh, You can house people. We have an opportunity. Uh, One of the ways we're looking at possibly ministering is we have a very large homeless community in, uh, in Lake Charles. There's a ministry that wants us to open our gym or something. For us, it would be the gym. And in the hottest two months of the year and the coldest two months of the year, so August, September, and December, January, one night a week, let 12 people sleep in our gym and take a shower. Now, you're thinking, like I am, that's an awesome idea. Better be what you're thinking. But we're also thinking, one night a week, is that really going to make a difference? Yeah, for that person, for one night, that makes a huge difference. Little. But we only have to start little. We can donate. Care help always needs items. We can mentor. A lot of the problems we have in society today is because kids don't have fathers, or kids don't have mothers, or kids don't have either functional orphans. Their parents may not be dead, but they're not anywhere around. They're living with grandparents. They're living with aunts and uncles. 
But we who have a more stable family base can mentor those children. We can teach those children. We, we visit, we show compassion to people who are hurting. We march with people who are feeling the, 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 the injustice of their society, wherever they may live. Did he just say march with people? He's a Democrat. Yes, I said march with people. I said stand with people who are experiencing injustice. Do you realize some of the most vocal supporters of slavery in the 1840s and 1850s in America, in the South, were preachers standing behind pulpits just like this and preaching that it was okay for a person to own another person. That is a stain on our church, not our church, the church, that I hope we never get over. So we never stand before a congregation again and say, and call evil, or call good, what God has called evil. You get many amens there. So yeah, march with people who are experiencing injustice. Stand with them and say, this is not right. And until this is made right, you know what fixed the slavery issue? I talked about it in, in England. Uh, I talked about it a few weeks ago, a few months ago in England. Christians, William Wilberforce, John Newton, man who wrote Amazing Grace. It was Christianity that stopped the slave trade in England. It was Christianity that led to the abolition of slavery in America. Yes, we stand, we speak out, we say, again, I don't care if I sound like a Democrat. I don't care if somebody says, well, that's a progressive liberal buzzword. I don't care if somebody says you can't be Republican and think that. I only care that God has told us to stand with the hurting, wherever they may be, and bring them hope. I do not preach a social gospel. I do not preach a gospel that says, come to church so that you don't have poverty anymore. Or come to church so that you feel better about, I don't preach a liberation theology that says the whole thing about the Bible is to get people out of their poverty. No, no, the, the, the whole thing about the Bible is to get people out of their sin. But the calling of the church after that is to bring people out of their hurting state, whatever it is. And it's interesting, isn't it, that James put this smack dab in the middle of things we're okay with. Oh, we're fine people telling people to shut their mouths, right? I mean, if anyone thinks he's religious without controlling his tongue. Oh, we're good with telling people, oh, you're not controlling your tongue. You need to stop that. We're good, as we're going to get to uh, the end of the passage here in just a second. Uh, we, we tell people to quit doing what is bad. Personal holiness is the third area. We're, well, sure, absolutely. We need to tell people they need to quit doing what's bad. We'll, we'll, we'll preach against homosexuality all day. But we won't mention gluttony in a Baptist church. We'll preach against gay marriage all the time. But we won't, with, we won't uphold the stand that a marriage is between one man, one woman for life and say that divorce is a scourge on the church right now. Uh, we'll, we'll say things that, that we like, but I'm not surprised at all that the Holy Spirit told James to put right in the middle the two things we're okay with. You better quit talking like that and you better quit living like that. Put right in the middle. Oh, by the way, 
Christians, you also need to change the way you live and get out there among the people that need you. Mm. We like the two ends, but we don't like the one in the middle so much. And the last one, personal holiness, verse, uh, the second half of verse 27, keep oneself unstained with, from the world. Somebody in here right now is thinking, uh-huh, Michael, he says keep yourself unstained from the world. That means we can't go out into the, the bad neighborhoods. We can't be seen talking to the, the, the really bad people because people will, will get stained. People will think we're not good Christians. Nope, that's not what it says. Nice try, though. Uh, the first two flow into this one. This is a huge task to be involved in the world but not be affected by the world. That is the Christian's call daily. We live here. This is, this is our home but we are not to be affected negatively by the world. We are to be in the world, but unstained by it. We are to be among the hurting. We are be to be among the sinful. Jesus did it. Well, I'm not Jesus. Well, you got the Holy Spirit, and he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll do works greater than even I did. So quit with the I'm not Jesus. He didn't give you that option. He said, he didn't say, do these things if you're me. He actually said, do these things if you're mine. So if you're his, then, well, you don't have an excuse. Social responsibility requires us to engage with people and situations that good Christians wouldn't associate with. I, I, I've told you about this ministry before called Triple X Church that ministers at actual uh, convention, porn conventions, and they hand out Bibles. And there are people I, I know without a doubt, and there may be some in here that think, well, that's just not right. They shouldn't go to that porn convention. You mean they shouldn't take the gospel to one of the darkest, seediest, sex slave uh, uh, using uh, gospel defying places in the world? And where the heck are we supposed to take the gospel if it's not there? To our nice suburban neighborhoods where we think most of the people are okay with what we're talking about? We take the gospel where the gospel is needed. Good Christians go where Jesus tells them to go. And good Christians hang out with the prostitutes like Jesus did. To witness to the prostitutes. To show them there was something better than their prostitution. To show them that there was something more in their life. That they were worth more than whatever payment they got at the end of a trip. They were worth more than what one person said they were worth for the next 30 minutes to an hour. They were made in the image of God and he loved them and Jesus died for them too. That's the job of the church. There is no one that a truly good Christian would not serve and minister to. The good Christians minister to the ones who need ministering. And they don't look at the life, the color, the smell, the sin. They look at the person and say, that is a person made in the image of God. See, the world says, say what you think, everybody for themselves, personal, holy, says, a personal holiness says reject that. It is not say what you think. It is not everyone for themselves. The Christian that has no control over their tongue and has no compassion for the needy in distress, you have already
become stained by the world. Do you, do you get that? Do you, do you get control your tongue, be socially active, don't be stained by the world. But if you believe that I get to say whatever I want, and if I believe that it's all about me and nobody else, you have been stained by the world. Not being stained by the world means controlling your tongue, reaching out, being socially active, lifting, putting your hand down in what you would call the muck and the mire, what I would call the muck and the mire of society, getting dirty and trying to pull somebody out of what they don't feel like they could ever get out of. That is true religion, pure and undefiled in the eyes of God. The message cannot change. The message that we take to the hungry is, I have bread, but let me tell you about the bread of life. The message we take to the thirsty is, here's water to drink, but let me tell you about the living water from a well that will never run dry. The message we take to the prostitute you think you're worthless, but you're not. You are worth something. As a matter of fact, you are worth the very life of God's Son. That's the message. We go to a child who has no father, who has no mother, that says the world is against them. We take the message of we want to care for you. We want to give $38 a month for, to provide hope for you because... Though you have no father, there is a heavenly father that loves you and takes care of you. That's the message that we take when we are socially active, socially responsible, when we are living the words of James to have pure and undefiled religion. But it begins somewhere, and it begins at the cross. All this begins with faith in Christ. Even our fundamentalist beliefs, my fundamentalist beliefs, my first five, really, they don't inform my belief in Christ. My belief in Christ informs my five fundamental beliefs. I trust Christ, and He has led me to truth. I trust Christ. I place my faith in Him, and He says, now, you believe me? You trust me? I'm yours? You're mine? All right, what does my word say? Well, my word says these things. It all begins with faith in Christ. So this morning, I want to make sure you have right belief. Not right beliefs. I'll preach on the five fundamentals someday. But I want you to have right belief this morning. Do you know, do you understand that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? You are a sinner. I am a sinner. The wages of those sins is death. I deserve the penalty of death, and it is coming someday for me. Physical death I will have to go through, but a spiritual death is only there as punishment if I do not trust Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That, that Jesus who died for, for me, middle class, never been on drugs, never been drunk, but also died for the prostitute, the alcoholic, the drug addict the illegal alien, the refugee from a foreign country. Jesus died for all of them. And the gift of life to them is just as real as the gift of life to me. And he proves that life 
He proves that love rather for us. He loved us enough that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. It's easy for us to believe Jesus died for us. Well, I've been a pretty good upstanding citizen my whole life. I've, I've never done anything really bad. Even, you know, even before I got saved, I wasn't a bad kid. So, you know, Jesus dying for me, that's fine. But the trashiest, and I'm just going to use this phrase, and if you don't like it, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just trying to think of language we might use when we are trying to be offensive. The trashiest, most worthless gutter rat. There's no gutter rat at all. The creation of God, made in his image, for whom Jesus died, even in their trashiest, even in their deepest gutter hole. Jesus died for them. And if they call out on the name of Jesus, they'll be saved. Heard a lady one time, heard about a lady one time that said she could not believe that Ted Bundy is in heaven. If you're not old enough to know who Ted Bundy is, He's not the first serial killer, but he sure did make the news. He was one of the first ones that didn't look like a serial killer. He just didn't fit the mold, as far as anybody could tell on the outside. By all accounts, he professed faith in Christ not too long before he got the electric chair in Florida. And I heard a woman say, I knew of a woman that said, I'm not going to be in heaven with murderers. And I felt sorry for her that she wasn't going to heaven. Because if you're going to heaven, you're going to be there with murderers and prostitutes and, and gutter rats and everything in between. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved.